This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Thanks, folks, for taking the time to join me on today. And as always, a very special welcome to those of you who are listening for the very first time. Welcome. Glad to have you and glad that you took time out of your schedule to listen to the podcast on today. Over the last several weeks, uh, I've been talking about the topic of the UX, the landscape, I should say, landscape of UX job seeking. Just the UX job world, period, folks, is is what we've been spending time talking about. I've had some guests on. I'm going solo tonight, just so you know. Um, We've been talking about seeking for jobs. We've been talking about how things go on the job. We've been talking to leaders. We've been talking to new UX folks. We've been talking uh, across the entire landscape. Uh, So, and and we're going to continue on tonight, and last week, I talked about what I called the opportunity paradox. And I was focusing on the fact that a lot of times, especially for newer UXers, and it happens really no matter where you are in your UX journey, a lot of times you seem, it seems like you have an opportunity. Everything looks like it's a great opportunity. It looks like there's this wonderful scenario that you're, that you're um, actually um, face-to-face with. And in many cases, and the the witnesses on this are off the charts. The numbers are off the charts. You'll you'll think you have something. You think you're on onto a great opening. You you think that man, what a great opportunity! I'd really love to work for this company. I really love to be there. I really love to do this kind of work. And a lot of times, what you find out is that that simply isn't the case. It, it looks like that. So we took some time to talk about that last week. And then I, I spent some time, try to, spend some time talking about how you vet out, how you evaluate these different scenarios, these different situations, to try to identify whether or not it really is a good opportunity. And, and I, I did specify that, you know, it's really difficult. It's there are a lot of times that you'll think that you vetted it out. And when you really sit down and look at it, or maybe weeks or months after the fact, you may find out, you know what? No, it's it's not a great opportunity. It, uh, what in the world did I do? Why in the world did I go for this? Or I saw warning signs, but I, I stepped forward in anyway. When I was going over different aspects of how you evaluate these scenarios, I didn't think I did that complete of a job or in other words, I think I left a lot on the table. And so I wanted to make that right. I wanted to evaluate a little bit more. I wanted to present a lot more situations that folks could take into consideration. And so that's what we're going to do on or in this episode. I should say, I want to talk about tips for evaluating workplaces. I want to look at that one aspect of the opportunity paradox and try to give you 
a lot more things that you can take into consideration. Now, the interesting thing about this is that this probably still is not an exhaustive list, but based on what I've got before me today and what I'm going to cover, this is definitely going to give you a lot more to take into consideration, a lot more things to take a look at, and it'll put you in a better position. Uh, to, to not share these things is is a huge oversight, so I want to make sure that I'm presenting these things because, I mean, we're here to help. We're here to help the UX community. We're here to help build people. We're here to help grow people. Uh, there's a lot of voices, and I say this a lot. There are a lot of voices in UX today, but voices are voices. People, A lot of people are talking. They're not bringing value. They don't really care about you. They don't care about what's happening to you. They don't care what your trajectory is. As long as they come out of it looking like some kind of superstar or celebrity, then they're all for that. That's not what we're doing. Uh, I do this out of, out, of, out of the kindness of my heart, so to speak. I do it because I want to give. I do it because I want to build. I do it because I want to see the people in the UX community be successful. So I've said that over and over again, and I just thought it'd be important to share it once again. So now, uh, that's it. Let's jump into, I'm going to repeat part of what I said last week during that one segment, but then we're going to build on that. So I talked about ways to spot paradoxical opportunities. It was a very, very, very short list, which we have probably quintupled or sextupled <laughs> tonight. Uh, so uh, let me repeat what I gave to you on last week. And it really was a one main thing with a bunch of subtopics. I talked about how a company, if they always seem to be hiring or they always have an opening for an extended period of time, that's actually a sign, folks. That, that's a sign that something is terribly wrong. It's a sign that they may not really be hiring. Some companies put positions out there. They, they, they have job postings. And if you talk to them sometime, you'll find out. They're not trying to hire at all. They're trying to build a database of people that they can that they can pull from when they do want to hire. So just because somebody has a job posting doesn't mean they're hiring. And you really don't want to get caught up in the midst of that. Now, do I fault them for that? Not necessarily. It's just that on the candidate side of things, the candidate a lot of times is we get excited. We we're thinking, okay, they're going to hire. Oh, this is something that'll probably happen pretty quickly. We just come up with all types of scenarios and think about all types of things uh, in conjunction with that. And it's not wrong that a company is doing what I just mentioned, but I, I really encourage those of you out there that are looking for positions that you really stay level headed. It, it's <laughs> they may not be hired. Don't get too excited, even if you get a quick screening call it doesn't mean that things are going to move quickly. It doesn't mean, I mean, sometimes companies, it looks like they're hiring and the opening and they may have an actual open job rec and that job rec can disappear in a week. So I encourage people, make sure that you're level-headed, make sure that you're, you're not getting your hopes up too high. Be realistic. Don't drown in toxic positivity uh, because that's not good for the individual who does such a thing. So I want to keep that in mind. I want, want you to keep in mind. So when it comes to these types of companies, I had a short list of things. I left it at that. So again, let's finish this list. Some companies, folks, just because somebody has an opening, it doesn't mean they know what they're doing. Some companies, folks, just don't know how to hire. 
They don't know what they're looking for. And we're talking about the ones that do have a posting that's out there for a long time. They're not just trying to put people in a repository. They actually are have a, an open job posting and they're trying to look and see who they can find. That doesn't mean they know what they're doing. They may not know how to hire at all. They may not know how to screen at all. A lot of companies end up hiring the wrong people. Just so you know, it, it's a real crapshoot a lot of times. Uh, but we, as the as the candidate, many times we assume that because a company is hiring that they know what they're doing and that they're doing the right thing. That may not be the case at all. Matter of fact, some companies have way too many people on their UX team and you're just being thrown into the in, into that mix that is somebody's going to try to right that ship. And you don't want to be a part of that. When that comes down, ask the company they had. Not, I'm, I'm, I won't tell you what company it is. I know who it is. They had over 900 people on their UX team. A 900-member UX team. That is automatic, a, a red flag that lets you know that something is amiss. That lets you know that something isn't quite right because nobody needs that many UX people. But these people, again, they don't know how to hire. You have companies that don't know how to interview. You have companies that don't know what they want, and we assume that because they are, because they have a posting, then because they have people in place to do the interviews that they know what they're looking for. Many times they don't. Matter of fact, a lot of the job postings were copied from another company that didn't know what they were doing, and they copied it from a company that didn't know what they were doing. So a lot of the job postings, they many times you can see the confusion uh, and the dysfunction. It, it will manifest itself in the job posting, but. We'll talk about that part another time. Um, some people are always look like they're always hiring because they can't keep anyone, uh, which is a red flag in in many cases. Uh, something about their process or structure is undesirable, and some people actually are spotting it and they're rejecting it, and so they have to keep hiring over and over again. Uh, and then some companies, the last one that I mentioned last last week, they have terrible leaders, they have terrible team members. And people keep spotting it during the interviewing process. I've talked to people all over who uh, we have really interesting, amusing conversations about the things that people discover about a company just during the job interviewing process. So, again, yeah, they're hiring. They got a post. It looks promising. We have no, you have no idea as the candidate what level of dysfunction is at work in a given company. We never know that when we're interviewing with someone. And yes, it, it can show through during the interview, but we still never really know. So so again, let's stay level-headed. Uh, it's difficult to do, especially when you're really anxious and you're really trying to find something. It's When you're in that state of mind, you're more likely to ignore red flags. You're more likely to be wearing rose-colored glasses. You're more likely to latch on to toxic positivity. And so emotional intelligence and critical thinking must win out in such cases. So and we have to strive to do that. So that's what I mentioned last week. We can go much, much, much further than that. And that's what I'd like to do tonight. So let's go over the items that we have today. This is going to be pretty extensive uh, but I do believe we can cover this all in this one setting. So here are some additional things to check out when you're evaluating a job opportunity. And, and some may sound simple, but you'd be surprised what you find out when you when you look at many of these things. Number one, 
You always want to find out how many people there are on the team. Are you going to be a team of one? Are there seven people? Are there 10 people? Are there 20 people? Are there 30 people? How many people are on the team? And and it is critical. Uh, I like to refer to this as painting pictures. You want to ask as many questions as you can so that you can paint as accurate of a picture as possible of what it's like to work in that organization and what it's like to be in that role that you're interviewing for. It's really, really important because some people, they just want to fill the role. Have you ever received a call from somebody? Hey, I have an opportunity. Are you in the market? That's it. They don't, they don't tell you anything. Uh, or, or, or they'll say, I, I, let me paint this picture better because that, that's, that's not a good example. Let's do it. Let, let, let me take a couple steps further. Someone, you get a call from someone and they say, how are you? Uh, I have a job opportunity for you. And, they'll, and they'll, they don't ask if you're in the market. They'll just say, are you interested? They went from zero to 60 cognitively in less than a second. You don't know if you're, if you're interested. And, and, if, and if you say you are, they'll take your information and they might say that they're going to send you the job description so you can look at it. But to confirm a person's interest without having said a single solitary thing about the job is grossly unrealistic. And that's a sign that something is wrong. So let's just add that to the list. I wasn't going to cover that, but let's just add that to the list. That that, that sound about right. So <laughs> you ever been there before? It is terrible. So let's, let's, let's watch out for that. But you want to know how many people are on the team. And a lot of times when you find out how many people are on the team, that will open up a door or may bring other questions to mind things that you want to focus on because it's when you find out how many people are on the team and you will later may ask questions about a day in the life of, and you need to find out what a day in the life of a person in this role is going to be like. And when you factor in how many people are on the team, you'll find out whether or not they're overworking the team. You'll find out if there is a, a realistic distribution of stakeholders to to team members, uh, a lot of companies, it's it's off base in a lot of companies, but you still need to know. There will there are companies that will have like six or seven UX people and they'll have like 50, 60, 70, 80 uh, developers, engineers. Uh, and, and, and this is weird. And then they, they expect the UX team to turn things around as fast as the developers are or something of that, something dysfunctional of that sort. So make sure you find out how many people are on the team. It is important. You want to find out the, what the experience levels are on the team. If there's three, four, or five, again, it doesn't matter how many people there are. It usually you, you're going to find out or get your view, your, your, your perspectives on the experience levels of the people on the team when you're scheduled for interviews and you're going to interview with X number of people and that's when you get their names and that's when you go to LinkedIn. That's when you look to see what is their experience like? Do, have they actually grown through the ranks of UX? I, I saw a beautiful post and, and shout out to a person who gave me a shout out um, about, uh, I'm not going to say the name here, but uh, the person just they said something it was wonderful what they said because they they just talked about how they were trying to grow in the discipline and I was listed as one of the people that impacted them and was helping them to grow. What they said 
that was fantastic was, and you don't hear people acknowledging this, they said that you need to work like 10,000 hours to really develop your mastery. How emotionally intelligent is that for a person, especially in this day and time? People want to go from zero to expert in five seconds. It's not realistic. It's not possible, folks. It's not doable. So when you look at the experience levels of people on the team, like you can get an idea for how much time they've put in to the work. Did they just go from being on the street to being a senior, because that's I don't care who you are, that's not realistic. Did they go from um, senior from from seat to zero to, to senior in one year? Did they go from senior to lead in three years? Did they become a a, a, a manager or a director in two, three, or four years? Even five, six, seven, or eight. I know some companies do it but they're going to pay the price for doing that in the long run because a person has to have a lot more experience to be able to to manage the team and and it's one thing to manage the individuals to manage the people that's one thing the other aspect is to manage and direct the work because a person that doesn't have that much experience doesn't understand the breadth of UX and they're going to have an extremely difficult time calling shots from a management perspective. Well, some people think that they do. You, you see some people and you can tell that they, they buy into fake it till you make it. But if you go into a group, if you, you see that you're going to interview with four or five or six people and you go on LinkedIn and you look at their experience and you see all these, these short uh, career timelines, um, there's two things you have to look at. One is if you're going in there and maybe it is a great opportunity, maybe it is a legitimate opportunity, but even if it is, if you go into an opportunity, this is an interesting uh, twist on the opportunity paradox, actually. If you go into a place that looks like a great opportunity and there's a lot that says it's a great opportunity, but nobody on the team really has ample experience, they really don't have the acumen also, and you can tell that from the things they do. You can look at people's profiles and get an idea because it's pretty simple. If you've only been working in UX for X number of years, two, three, four, or five years, and it take the whole 10,000 hours bit, you're not really a senior, even if you have a senior in your title. I said it before, I'm saying it again. You're not really a senior until you get at least eight years under your belt. And that's senior, not manager, that's senior. If you have people with low lengths of practice, you're going to run into a lot of things. You're going to run into people that are not sure of themselves. You're going to run into people who are threatened by people who do have experience. You're going to run into people who uh, the whole imposter syndrome crowd. And no, we've said this before. We do not endorse the imposter syndrome bit. People have, there's a difference between having self-doubt which is just, that just means you're human. It happens, and there's ways to build around that. But there's people that have inferiority complexes. And when you have people who feel, who have self-doubt, do not put the work in to overcome self-doubt 
and then get threatened by people who don't have self-doubt and do know who they are, now you're coming into the world of the inferiority complex. And a lot of those people are very violent when it comes to emotional intelligence, and they are going to make your life extremely problematic. So that means when you see all these short stints and you see this lack of, of practice in someone's LinkedIn profile and you go in there, Take your length of experience. How much experience do you have? Because when you have more experience and you go in on a team where there's a bunch of people with no experience, it is very rare for people to say, wow, you have 10 years, you have 12 years. I'm glad you're coming on on our team. I I really look forward to connecting with you. I really think it's going to help grow my career. Now, I know that makes sense to a lot of us for somebody to draw that type of a conclusion, But the truth of the matter is, a lot of people don't feel that way. They feel like you're a threat. They feel like you're going to come in and unseat someone, in many cases, namely them. And now, so when you see, when I said all that to say this, when you see all of these short career stints, not job stints, just just three, four, five, six years, teams surrounded by, I've been on teams before with people who had, there's like 25 people on the team and only two people had prior experience prior to being on the team. And I was even told, I'm hiring you to be a senior to our seniors. But the person said that, but she never cleared that with the other people on the team. So when you go into, depending upon your, again, your level of experience, when you go into a team where there's a lack of experience on that team, depending upon what you're bringing to the table, you will actually be able to gauge how toxic of a work environment that's going to be. That's where I was going with all of that. And so, again, the opportunity paradox, you're going in, the company is great, the salary is great, the benefits are great, and people want your head on a platter. (laughs) They want your head on a platter, not because you did anything wrong, and, and, and we're going to have a nightmare show one day. I'm going to have a few people on to talk about some of the nightmares that we experience. I've experienced quite a few in my day, and I wish I had done what I'm telling you now. I didn't do it. I've started doing it as much as I can now. And some people, I worked at a company once, and I thought it was going to be a great opportunity. It was a worldwide brand. I thought things were wonderful, fantastic. We're going to go in. This is going to be great. And I get in there. My boss, the person that, this happens to folks, the person that interviewed, two of the people actually, that interviewed me and I fell in love with them and I thought they were great. They both left their positions or were transferred out a week after I started. They were replaced by people that had I interviewed with them, I never would have accepted the job. And then I get in there and I find out that they hid certain people from me during the interviewing process because they knew that if I had met them, that I would not want to take the job. And that is a quote. So you you think things are going to be great. (laughs) And those not necessarily the case. So please check out people's experience levels on LinkedIn so you can get some insight about what you're potentially going to be walking into here. Please, please, please do that. Um, you want to look at their social media activity. You know, are, are they active? 
Uh, and, and that's not necessarily a, a good or a bad thing. If somebody's active, they're active. If they're not, they're not. There are a lot of people that are not. But if they are, it gives you insights. And so it, it's not a bad thing if they're not. But you do want to try to get an idea of who you're potentially going to be working with. Do they publicly demonstrate a passion for UX? Again, they might not be active on social media. And if they're not, then fine. But if they are, take a look at what they're posting. Take a look at what they like. Take a look at what they say in their responses. Take a look at at the people they connect with, the people that they seem to value. That will tell you something about them. In their responses, do they demonstrate emotional intelligence or are they haters or trolls? And do they support haters, trolls, or people who spread misinformation? This is the type of thing. When you get that interviewing schedule, go and look these people up. And if you're honest, if you have passion for the discipline, if you want to learn, and I'm assuming you're listening to this podcast, you're a person that wants to learn. That's pretty much who I, who I'm going to attract. <laughs> so you want to learn, you want to make sure you're connecting with people who want to, who want to do the same. You don't want to be connected to the misinformation crowd. You don't want to be connected to a bunch of, uh, of UX celebrities. That's not, that's not helping you, it's not helping them, and it's going to be very painful for you. So this will, by looking at someone's social media activity, it will give you an idea of who they are. It'll give you an idea regarding the interpersonal dynamics that you're about to walk into, and now you can see, is, this, is it an opportunity or is it a trap? You know, the, the, the mouse thought it was an opportunity when he saw the cheese, and the next thing you know, boom. And, 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 you know, I know that's a slightly morbid metaphor, but it is pretty accurate. That's what we, that's what we deal with. So keep that in mind. If you're joining a large team, make sure you take time to understand the structure. Ask about it. Uh, how many, how many are on the team? How, how was leadership set up? I had an interview once, a wonderful interview with the company once and, and, and this person has moved on. I won't tell you what the name of the company is, but it was a really nice structure on their team. They had wonderful career paths plotted out for everybody. Uh, it just turned out I didn't go there because they, they couldn't get approval for remote work at the time, but really, really well done. And, and that tells you something about the team as well. When you have an organization that is organized and they can clearly and plainly declare their organization to you during the interviewing process, that says a lot about what you're about to walk into. These willy-nilly operations <laughs> are pretty painful, and sometimes it might appear that way because they're growing, and there are companies that have growing pains, but sometimes you have companies, they're willy-nilly in how they're structured. When you come in, they're willy-nilly. When it's time to put together a plan for your for your growth and your onboarding to the team, they're willy-nilly. And then when it comes to evaluating you, guess what? They're going to be willy-nilly. And, and uh, that's, that's dysfunction uh, off the charts. And that's not a, a place that you really want to be. Not if you treasure your sanity, if you get my drift. So take time to understand the structure in an organization. If you were to, if you were to join that team, try to gauge how you would impact the team from an experience perspective. And again, looking at where the team is from an experiential perspective, how much experience do they have in the discipline? If you join the team, are you a newer UXer? If you're a newer UXer, you want to know what they have in place to help you grow. 
help you mature, help you develop your acumen. If you are a mid-level or experienced practitioner, you want to know how you fit in with the team? Will you be mentoring people? Will you be helping people? Uh, what really is there? What is the career path? You want to be aware of these things. So, so there's a lot of things going on from a structural perspective you want to be aware of. Don't just be so eager to get a job that you're not paying attention to details because you could very easily regret that later. Would you be valued on that team? And, and it's funny, people will hear that question. They'll say, of course I'd be valued. They're going to hire me. You'd be surprised. You would be surprised. And and you don't necessarily have to ask them that. Or I, I And if you do, I wouldn't ask it in that way. I would phrase that question in a different way. But you're going to have to try to either assess or try to, to ask questions that would help you to determine how valuable you would be because you only want to walk into a situation where you are going to bring value. Not where you're just a head. If you are just a talking head, uh, well, heads roll eventually. You don't want to become a talking head, and a lot of companies do hire people with absolutely no intention on keeping them in the long run. So, so you want to be, again, realistic so that you can gauge these types of things and be aware. I, I talked about cultivation. Ask about, if you're a newer UXer, ask what they have in place to grow or mature team members. Ask what kind of learning resources they make available for their team. Ask if the team does anything, if they meet regularly to, to help sharpen iron or, or do design critiques or things like that. Inquire about that, again, so you can paint a picture of where you're headed. Don't just, again, be so eager that you just want to jump in there because you could be screaming bloody murder uh, very quickly and you don't want, you don't want to be a part of that. You want to find out if the team is expanding or if the role you're coming into, uh, if you're going to be backfilling someone. And, and if you're backfilling someone, you want to find out what the circumstances were associated with that person's departure. Because you may find out just by asking questions about that, that there is something a bit off color that has to do with that position that you're going into. You want to find out about that because you could just be just, again, another head that's coming in and they have absolutely no interest in in uh, addressing or dealing with you in an honorable and professional way. And again, we assume that there's going to be something honorable and professional in the dealings, but that assumption sometimes when you find out that's not the case or when that if and when that happens, it's a real mind-blowing kind of a, an experience, and, and you really you want to be ahead of something like that. You want to be ahead of it. Uh, if, if there are too many people in the position before you, as you ask these questions, I advise you to move on. If there was a role, oh, there was five people in this position before you. Oh, there was four people in this position before you. You need to move on. Don't walk into that role. There's something they're not telling you, especially if they're moving too fast to try to bring you on board. A lot of times, companies move fast because they're being pressured by someone to get someone in a position or someone is tired of doing the work, so they want to get somebody in the role as quickly as possible so that they can stop doing that work. But they really actually have no intention and no desire whatsoever to 
grow or mature whoever steps into that role in an honorable and professional manner. So you're just ahead. You're just buying somebody some time, but they don't really care. So you want, you want to make, you want to steer clear of that. Look for signs of baiting and switching. And this is where you ask about what the day in the life is like for that role. What a person that's in this role, what do you expect them to do? What types of things would they be doing? Please describe for me what a day in the life is like for this individual. And you need to find out if they're giving you an actual depiction of what's that, what that's like, or if they're guessing. You need to ask. There's a lot of dishonesty that takes place during the hiring process. And so if you don't ask these kinds of questions, you're simply not going to find out or somebody is going to do a song and dance in front of you because they're just seeking to you know, play a game and, and, and have you just say something to have you go, oh, yeah, okay, great. I can't wait to move into it. And they know that they're selling you on a job that doesn't exist or selling you on something that appears to be peaceful and, and an opportunity, but it's actually a trap and it's actually full of all type of dysfunction and pain. So, and you deserve to know such things. Evaluate the job responsibilities that you see in the job description because you need to identify how many hats are involved. Uh, one of my former professors and a, a colleague of mine and someone I've, I've grown to, to really to really be, uh, respect and we interact a lot over the years, uh, Dr. Paul Sherman, has a presentation that he's done. I hope to have him on the show soon, by the way. Uh, he, he did a presentation, a talk, that basically it, it's talking, I don't remember the title, but in this talk, I believe it was about the unicorn, how the unicorn is dead. But... What he did was he took a job posting in this talk and he evaluated the job posting, went from top to bottom and identified how many hats, how many roles was this person really filling? And when he was done evaluating it, he identified five people. They were actually cramming five people into one job. This is a big national company here in the United States. They were crabbing five people into one role, folks. Five people. You really think that's going to play out well? You really think that's going to be something? You really think that's an opportunity? So don't be, again, so eager that you're missing things like this. They want you to, to wear five hats. That is not going to be a fair situation that you're walking into. So you want to be aware of something like that. Look for red flags. Uh, and I'm only going to call out one example, but you, you'll, they'll stand out to you. The more you look at these opportunities, job postings, I should say, uh, you, you'll begin to see them. But the one that I wanted to highlight, I'm only going to highlight one here. Maybe another time I'll talk about some. But you ever looked at a job posting and it'll say, the person must be comfortable with ambiguity? <laughs> You know what that really means? A, a lot of job posts are are they contain code. In other words, they're not being they're telling you number one that they're not being transparent with you. Uh, number two, they're using words that only people who wrote it know what it means. You can ask about it later. In many cases, you're not going to get a straight answer. Just so you know, 
And it was really, really interesting that you'll find that when a company says that you must be comfortable with ambiguity, that is them trying to justify the fact that they are terrible communicators. So if you go into that company and they tell you, and sometimes it's not in the job description, they just tell you later, uh, that's a reason to run for the hills. When they say that, they're going to start saying things to you that don't make sense. They're going to start saying things that the only way you're going to know is, is if you read minds, because you can even ask, and they still won't tell you, even though you ask. So this whole ambiguity thing, it, it's letting you know that people are lazy. It's letting you know that people don't care. It's letting you know that when you don't understand something, you may or may not get the answer <laughs> if you when you start to dig around. So that's a huge red flag. Um, folks, if there's ambiguity, um, we eliminate the ambiguity by making things clear. That's the way you do that. And, and, and nobody can read minds, although a lot of people behave as if they can or as if folks can. But you want to be aware of that. When, when I've seen that in job descriptions before, that is a reason to run for the hills. Do not let that. Uh, don't get caught in the, uh, in the crossfire of that being listed in a job posting. Here's one that might be a surprise. You might find this a surprise. Uh, but I thought that I should mention it. Um, this, so this is one of the things you'll look for. But uh, you, again, you're going to be surprised how I approach this one. What I mentioned here. You ever seen a job posting? I know what the answer is. But have you ever seen a job posting and they list on that posting, either the title says UX UI in it or UX UI is mentioned several times within the job description or within the responsibilities? I have news for you. I know sometimes the, the mindset is, man, if you see that, just run. But the truth of the matter is that anytime UX UI is in the job description, that means that we need to have a conversation. So don't write off a job just because UX UI is in the job title. A lot of times the job, the person who wrote the job description is not a UX person and doesn't know they, they're trying to get this job post out there. There's a bunch of contributing factors that that are reasons why this UX UI stuff or verbiage is in the job posting, but it's not really an accurate reflection of the job. And when I say that, I mean that it, it, it's not an indicator that they don't know what they're doing or what they're asking for or who they're looking for. So don't let the fact that someone's, somebody says UX UI in a job posting or has UX UI in the title don't let that deter you from applying. You can always confirm their understanding of user experience during the interview process. So I know some people would be surprised to hear me say that, but that's what we should do. Don't write it off. I mean, some people just simply don't know, and it could just be an honest mistake. So you can find out when you get to the interview. How about that? instead of just writing them off because you could miss a good opportunity just because something like that. And we want to be anal or analytical, but we don't want to be anal retentive. We don't want to be detail oriented and then nobody benefits from it. And you certainly don't want to be detail oriented to the point where you actually uh, become detrimental to self. So uh, make sure that you vet those things out and get, have a conversation. That's it. Uh, 
Here's another one. Stop. Let's stop assuming. I've said this before. Let's stop assuming that big name companies know what they're doing when it comes to UX. They do not. In many instances, and you could be Fortune 100, Fortune 200, Fortune 500, Fortune 1000. Oh, look at this big company. Oh, man, they got a a UX uh, position. Oh, I want to apply there. They got to know what they're doing. They may not have a clue. It could be the worst thing that ever happened to you in your life going into an environment like that. So how about we just stop setting ourselves up for these massive disappointments by assuming people know something just because their company has a big name. The company has a big name. That doesn't, that's not equal to the company knows what UX is, how to handle UX, how to interact with and how to value its UX personnel. That is not what that means. So let's make sure that we're there. So, and, and we're going to start to come in for a landing from there in this episode. Yeah, I was able to get everything, but I'm going to wrap up today by just talking about leadership because this is something I've had conversations in the last week. It's it just, it's an amazing thing. I've audited my own work history, just trying to look back, do some retrospectives on where I've been in my career, the perspectives, the, the things I've seen and heard, the things I've experienced and try to draw some things out of that to, to sharpen my own saw. And folks, a good boss is worth its weight in gold. Worth its weight in gold, Uh, which is why during the interviewing process, you want to try to find out, understand who your boss is going to be, try to find out who they are. Uh, I hope you don't experience what I experienced where you get a boss. Wow, this person, I'm really looking forward to working for this person. And then you find out they're going to leave a week later. And And then you get, you know, Frankenstein's monster as your new, as your new boss. These kinds of things do happen, uh, unfortunately. But when you do have a good boss, folks, hold on to that job. And sometimes you could have a great boss and maybe there are some other factors in the job that might be challenging, uncomfortable, undesirable, but you have a good boss though. And when you have a good boss and these other things are going on, that you don't find very cognitively palatable, if you will, that good boss will help you get through those things. That good boss will help you manage these things. And a good boss takes pride in being a good boss. Today, a lot, there's good boss, good bosses are like almost extinct, it seems like. And a lot of people don't take pleasure in, in um, taking care of their, of their reports. And so you just want to make sure, be good at identifying a good boss and be good at valuing that good boss. And if you ever are considering going to another opportunity, when you already have a good boss, please know and understand, if you go to another quote unquote opportunity, you might be losing a good boss. Sometimes the opportunity looks good, but you're about to trade off your good boss for a terrible boss. And when you have a terrible boss, you lose sleep. It will impact your health. <laughs> it will. It, it could damage your trajectory, your career trajectory. Pure, a good boss is worth more than anything else in the job search process and in the career process. It is really critical. Must have a good boss. Must absolutely have a good boss. So when you're coming in, some things that will help from that boss evaluation perspective, 
when you get that, that new boss you're interviewing, ask how long they expect you to get up to speed in a role. Some will tell you without you asking. Uh, if you don't ask, because sometimes you don't, because there's a distraction factor, and sometimes you don't think to ask that kind of thing. Uh, some, they'll tell you if you ask. If you don't ask, they won't tell you, and then they'll turn around later and and uh, criticize you uh, because you didn't ask or something of that sort. The person who has the authority has the greater responsibility to get the newer person ready to something we need to understand. If you're a leader, you need to be doing that out there today. So, uh, But if you get a chance and it does come to mind, ask how long so you can start to set expectations. Ask how, how onboarding and getting up to speed is managed. Do you have a 30-day plan, a 60-day plan, a 90-day plan, a 120 plan? Where do you expect me to be in six months? Let's identify what these things are, get them on paper for my sake, and then my, when I say my sake, you too, for your sake, identify these things and make sure they're measurable so that you can manage your onboarding in the organization uh, so you don't walk into a, a trap because uh, those types of things happen too and people don't care when they set you up for something like that. They, they don't care that you set, that they set you up. So that's where we take charge of things like that. So at any rate, um, if the company is moving too fast during the hire, hiring process, beware. That's a sign something is wrong. And companies that move too fast are usually hiding something. And that goes for that leader that you're interacting with. They want to move too fast. They want to get you in here, interview you today, hire you by Friday. Something's not right. <laughs> so you want to be you want to be really, really, really careful about something like that. So, folks, leadership is critical. Find out how long those leaders have been working in UX. Uh, again, go to LinkedIn, look at their profile, look how long they've been doing the work, look at what type of work they, they've been in. Look at how they've, again, come up through the ranks. Where did they start? How long did they work in that position? Keep looking at those things because fast risers don't usually make good leaders, folks. In order to be a good leader, you first have to be a good follower. And there's a lot of people today that are leaders who've never been followers and they can't really relate to people that, that are reporting to them. So um, just something you want to keep in mind. So look at how long they've been working in UX. Look at how they moved up through the ranks. The people who move more slowly, you'll find they're the better leaders. They're the most, um, the most patient. They're the most uh, empathetic for the people who report to them. Uh, they're the ones who have a better idea as to what to do to groom you to get you into a, a better position in your career and help you move along in your career uh, instead of going from zero to 60 when it comes to how you grow within your career, which doesn't bode well for anybody. So uh, take a look at that stuff. This is one that some people, somebody's going to get upset with me about this, uh, but ask me if I care. I don't. Uh, it's just the truth. And, and so we're going to speak truth to power and, and we leave it at that and and if somebody doesn't like it, you know, so be it. If you are evaluating a new job opportunity and the people in charge are former art or creative directors, and I talked about this in another episode, they come from a dog-eat-dog -dog world. That, that old creative world, I know a couple people that made it. It's because they transitioned mentally. And, and they, they did a great job transitioning, but it is extremely rare and over 98% of the people I've met 
uh, who have been who've come from that old type of background, they're they're either bad leaders, they they don't respect the discipline, they they have a tendency to dispense misinformation, uh, but most importantly, that dog eat dog attitude that was prevalent in the creative world, they bring it into UX. And, and when they do that, in my experience, I've rarely seen a person who was a former art or creative director. If you, if you, if this doesn't describe you good, I'm happy. I'm happy that you're like that. And I'm happy for you. But the vast majority of people who have come into the UX arena, who used to be art and creative directors, they don't respect the discipline again. They don't, re- especially they, they do not respect people who have extensive UX experience and they go out of their way. They usually have a desire to make experienced UX people look bad. I don't know where all the hate is coming from. You know, people try to say people like me are gatekeepers because we're advocating for quality, but those art and creative directors, they are gatekeepers in the, in the spirit of that bad definition of gatekeeping. They like, to keep certain people out. They actually thrive on hiring unqualified people and they and they they just quickly dismiss consideration of of other people who 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 bring something to the table that would actually help vault the the departments to the next level or they they just try to shut them down. Not a good look folks. So so this is it today that I wanted to again wrap up by talking about things associated with leadership but this is where as I said I didn't think I did that part of the episode justice last week but these are a boatload of things that you can consider when you're looking at how to handle these so-called opportunities that are coming up in the world of UX I I wish all the best for you, but you're only going to get there when we wear our critical thinking hats and and be aware of many of these things that I'm presenting to you and navigate your way through it. Because if you don't, the chances of coming face to face with what I've identified here is very, very likely, and it can be very, very painful, disconcerting. Again, I've helped people try to convince people not to leave the discipline folks. And it's because of many of these th- types of things that I'm mentioning <laughs> right here. So let, let, let's maintain our course in UX. Uh, I, again, I wish everybody all the best and I look forward because people reach out to me regularly and I get to hear the stories. I hope this helps you, you who are under the sound of my voice today. I hope this helps you in your journey as a UX professional and and that when you see the pitfalls that you're able to navigate them you're able to address them you're able to not be floored by them you won't be blindsided by them and achieve success at the highest levels that's what I that's what I want for you today so that's all the time that we have for today Uh, but this is Darren Hood the host of the world of UX signing off until next time Happy UXing, everybody. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. 
Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.